Captain's Log. Og. I'm Captain Britain. And I'm Crystal Graffiti Artist Pat. These are the voyages of the starship USS Hooters Miami, our ongoing mission. To explore new Trek episodes, to seek out old Trek, both cringe and based, and to boldly go where Beavis and Butthead score! Soy Trek the Podcast is here, one half vegan, one half queer, a hundred percent communist, unless we have a less leftist guest, with Patrick and Britton. Talking, joking, farting, and shitting <laughs> all about Star Trek. Like Garbuttles, the show's a wreck. Soy Trek, the podcast is here. So listen to Soy Trek right in your ears. <laughs> Welcome to the bridge. This is Soy Trek, the show where two Trekkies ask themselves, are we lucky he's a family guy? Absolutely. Okay. I would. I would. I would shudder to think if he wasn't. Yeah. I, I would. <laughs> I would shudder the streaming service, the horror movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Movies, To think he was not. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like once the um, once like all the copyrights, you know, become public domain for that, like we can just like with we saw with Winnie the Pooh, like where you can have like a Family Guy, um, horror movie, horror movie on oh. Shutter or a, a Shutter exclusive, a Family Guy porno movie in my private collection. <laughs> That exists, yeah. Does it? Yeah. Have you watched it? Uh, just I think like the safer work version on YouTube or something. Uh huh. Like, uh, cause like I was just like, you, hey. did you masturbate to it? No, I did not. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> You're gonna be. You know what? You know the night's still young. <laughs> That's very true. Mm-hmm. Night is young, and so am I. It's <laughs> in the air tonight. Yeah, the guy that they got to do um, the Peter Griffin impression was pretty good. I'm pretty sure it's the same guy that they have for a lot of them. Like he played like Mulder and like that one, the X Files one and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah talented actor. Talented actor. Very yeah. talented actor. Yeah, man of many of many of many voices and mm. um, and a big old long dong. Big old long sling slong ding dong. <laughs> ding a ling a ling. Dinner's ready. It's a big old dick. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I know what you say. I know what you say. <laughs> it's getting dark out. Come and get this big old dick. Uh, Ringing the dinner bell. Hell yeah. So the donger bell. The donger bell. <laughs> the Christopher Donner bell. <laughs> Dorner bell. <laughs> Dorner bell. Ringing the Dorner bell. <laughs> Time's <laughs> up for cops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, speaking of time's up for cops, uh, guess what we're getting into today? We're getting into lower decks. Hell yeah. You ready to take a trip down? Yes. Let's do it. Let's talk, talk about, about Trek, baby. Those lower decks, baby. Let's talk about all the bad times, all the good shots, but maybe. Let's talk about Trek. Man, you just don't know the lyrics to that one. Do I know. You? I, I, I learned like them every, as I, I learn them as we go. I think you I think you got every line wrong in an, a unique individual way there. Yeah. Well, well done. Yeah, thank you. I, I think you pretty much just sang the original song, not my parody I did. of it. I, I do like the original song a lot. <laughs> Uh, whatever. Uh, so this, <laughs> this week, our uh, random uh, classic episode was not really that much of a classic, but Lower Decks mm-hmm. Season 1, Episode 3, Temporal Edict mm-hmm. uh, of Lower Decks, uh, written by Dave Ilhenfeld and David Wright. 
both of whom have written for Family Guy. Hells yeah. And The Gimmicks, which I don't even know what that is. Apparently it's a cartoon. Hmm. And directed by Bob Suarez, who's done six episodes of the series uh, up to this point, including Crisis Point and Wedge Douge, as well as several episodes of Solar Opposites and Big Mouth. Uh, so he actually... Oof, Big Mouth. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> but he, he actually uh, directed two of the best-regarded, highest-rated episodes of this whole series. So really? I think he's probably a pretty good actor. Yeah, Wedge hmm. Douge and then Crisis Point, the original one. Oh, yeah, from yeah. Season one, which is probably the best one from season one yeah. entirely. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so... Uh, we open on Ensign Bradward Boimler performing on stage in the bar of the Cerritos, playing a lively Scottish-style medley on an electric violin while dancing in front of his crewmates. <laughs> he finishes his original composition entitled Essence, which is about his mom, and he's about to perform another piece about his mom he calls Requiem for a Hug. <laughs> Aww. Yeah, which are, these are both fine jokes, but then Ensign's... Beckett Mariner with a combo amplifier and uh, Tendi interrupt him and kick him off stage. She has the to- and Tendi has the tom toms. Yeah, yeah. Mariner has like an electric guitar and a combo amp, and then Tendi has a portable electric drum set. Mm-hmm. Having done live sound a lot, at this point in the future, we will not have combo amplifiers like that. Like we'll no. just have we'll have a PA system places and like all the instruments will connect up to it. Mm-hmm. You might have a live sound mixer, but I almost doubt that even. Yeah. I think most bands at that point will be kind of mixing themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mariner counts uh, the two of them off, and they begin to play a hard rock melody, which is so loud that it's heard throughout the ship and even outside the ship. I mean, this this here is, like, kind of silly to me. Like, you mm-hmm. have a ship that has, like, that is sectional in case of emergencies, and they can close off each individual section, and somehow, like, the walls aren't thick enough to where you can't hear shit. It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it seemed seemed bizarre. Like that that uh, a sound could travel through a ship as large as the Cerritos. You know, it's on it's on the smaller side of the, mm. of the ships. Of true, but it's still a large. It's st- still large. Like it's massive. Like I mean, what's the complement of of the Cerritos? I think a hundred something. Yeah, it's huge, and mm. that people live and work on and. Yeah. So yeah, like yeah, it's, um, it's like as big as the original Enterprise, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, this is just being like you know super goofy, super yeah. super wacky. Yeah. And this like a lot of the early, especially season one of Lower Decks, you know, suffers from this. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is you know Mike McGann taking writers that don't like Trek that much. Mm-hmm. Like there's some Trek effort. Uh, references in this episode but they are very surface level Mm -hmm. and they're like just referencing like kind of specific things from a specific episode Mm -hmm. not greater parts of the trek culture and not like things that a fan would be like oh that Mm -hmm. it's more like you know they like looked through some wikipedia pages and were like (laughs) oh that happened in this episode put that in the script Mm -hmm. and it just it didn't it didn't feel authentic and it didn't feel like it was written by trekkies at all yeah uh it felt like it was written by two guys who also write for a family guy and yes hey tendy remember when (laughs) when i played the instrument so loud (laughs) I do, but that's only because <laughs> my name's Mariner and I'm a gay baby. <laughs> needed some of that. We needed we needed like some background. We needed like like uh, Peter Griffin to be in the background as just like someone that works on the Cerritos. Yeah, and we just need Stewie and everything. Yeah, we need Stewie on everything. Yeah, yeah. Mariner is now Stewie in this episode, so I will be doing every 
Mariner line. It's a gay baby. <laughs> You're going to die, Lewis. <laughs> uh, so the USS Cerritos is being uh, confronted by a Klingon bird of prey at this moment. And the Klingon ship's commanding officer angrily demands an explanation of the intense base emanating from the Cerritos. Uh, Captain Carol Freeman lies and says she can't hear it, even as she has to hold down a rattling mug on the arm of her captain's chair, and that perhaps it is coming from the bird of prey itself. She has the transmission muted, and with her demanding uh, that someone stop the noise, Shax rushes off the bridge to find the source. Mariner and Tendi finish their song, Mariner throwing her guitar off stage, which breaks on the deck, and she and Tendi walk off the stage with the amp. Boimler takes his place back at the center stage and resumes his second song, but gets only a couple notes in when Shax comes in, grabs the violin, and breaks it in half on his knee, saying that the captain is complaining about him being too loud. Boimler assumes it's true and profusely apologizes. <laughs> Opening credits, a minute and 30 seconds. This kind of sucks. Yeah. This didn't feel like Star Trek in any way. It feel it feels like a throwaway gig from Rick and Morty straight up. Yeah. Like it doesn't really make sense in Trek context. It's not about Trek. The only real Trek reference they had in any way there was a Klingon being involved. And like in the recitals, I do like I do like that recitals, they like instrument recitals. Do, but this is like this looks more like an open mic at a bar. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, it makes sense like when they did show like recitals, they were always in like TNG and stuff. They were always playing like, you know, classical music and mm-hmm. right. And they were <clears throat> actually like structured. Like mm-hmm. people talked for like a week in advance about, Oh, I'm going to do this at the recital. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, fucking Mariner and Tendi just showing up and knocking Boimler off the stage mm-hmm. is a, unlike their characters that we've come to know. Yeah. Like I don't think, yeah. Looking, looking back, like Tendi probably wouldn't have done Tendi that. Tendi would not have been there at all. Yeah. Tendi doesn't play the drums. Straight up. Yeah, well, she wouldn't have... Uh, she T- wouldn't. Tendi is not the type that plays drums. <laughs> I know a lot of drummers. Mm. Tendi's not a drummer. She's not a drummer. Not a drummer. Nah, Bassist yeah. at best. But also, I don't see her, like, wanting to just, like, bend the rules that much. She's more of, like, boy... She's more of... She's more as more akin to Boimler. Oh, absolutely. She's, like... Yeah, yeah. She's more kind of, like, rules-based. And... It would have actually probably made more sense for her to be playing the violin in this scene, almost. Yeah. Yeah, because she's a little more, yeah, like socially awkward than Boimler even. Yeah, I think she probably would have been horrified to mm-hmm. just be like playing playing these drums like in, in such a weird little fashion, you know, and just and creating lots of disturbance. Yeah. So uh, after the opening credits, we get a first officer's log from Jack Ransom. First officer's log, start date five seven five zero one dot four. The Cerritos is en route to Cardassia Prime for the most amazing reason. Captain Freeman is just to be, uh, is going to be instrumental in brokering peace between the, uh, wait, just reading a little message here. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, oh no. The captain is not going to be happy about (laughs) this. So I hated this. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I mean, they, they finally figured out a way by season three and actually somewhere in season two, I think to like make this seem like a professional crew that does unprofessional things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the beginning of season one, in this episode, very specifically, they are showing an unprofessional crew. Yeah. Completely. Mm-hmm. And I just like, don't buy, I don't buy that any of these people would be in the ranks and position given how they act at this point in the show. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is like the third episode. Right. Exactly. And so like, um, yeah, like looking back, like 
it is funny watch rewatching like the first season, mm-hmm. and and the the writing is definitely much stronger. Oh, it's so like, much stronger because um, they actually get what they're doing. Yeah, by by third season, yeah, right. The and they get season. that they're they're a Star Trek show made for Star Trek fans. Yeah, like the strength of the comedy and like the biggest laughs that they're getting are like references to old Star Trek mm-hmm. and like building on Star Trek lore and yeah. not being like we're wacky unprofessionals who do a wacky thing. Yeah, like uh, like the definitely the first season was they're just doing like really extreme wacky things that mm-hmm. are just like. Like, can you believe they're doing this on yep. Star Trek? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. yeah, and then, um, and then, yeah, and also like a lot of the episodes and like like revolve around like some major threat that they all have to mm. like invade invade the Enterprise that they have to fight and right. have a big epic showdown and. Mm. And then everyone's being as loud as humanly possible. And oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, and, and Mariner like is throwing up her arms like behind her head in an inhuman way a lot of times. Mm-hmm. It's like. A lot of characters actually do that. Like the everything, like becomes a lot more tame in season three, but mm-hmm. a lot funnier in like a deeper yeah, way. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, definitely a lot funnier. And then yeah. they, they do. Yeah, like it. it it's very evident. And mm-hmm. So yeah, it is. It it, it's, it is interesting to watch their origins. But you know, you can also do that. You know, with like you know TNG and like. Oh look yeah, at, no. Look first, at, first, look at look at Code of Honor and yeah, just be 100%. like, woof. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the first two seasons of TNG like are pretty rough, like yeah. very hit and miss. Like this this season's super hit and miss. Like I'd say there's a good episode in the entire season one, maybe two. The, I think mm-hmm. like maybe the the last episode and then also Crisis Point are mm-hmm. both decent. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the first season's super rough. Second season is about half and half. Third mm-hmm. season was like consistently pretty good. Yeah. There's... I thought there was only one episode. It was like one of the first three episodes in season three that I was like, eh. Mm-hmm. But like the rest of it was great. Yeah. Thought... And it also starts to feel more like Star Trek episodes. Yeah, it, where... yeah. And it feels like a show that actually knows what the fuck it's doing. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, a lot of these episodes are just like build up to just like everything just going to complete chaos. Yeah. And um, and then nothing matters at the next episode, which is fine. Yeah. I like an episodic episode, but it's like, I don't know, uh, high stakes and no reward. Mm-hmm. Damn. So, uh, on the bridge of the Cerritos, Freeman is arguing with Admiral Wong, who is informing her that their current mission to Cardassia Prime has been scrapped, since no one wants to go to Cardassia Prime because the Cardassians are creeping everybody out, <laughs> causing the peace negotiations to be moved to Vulcan. Uh, the Admiral instead orders them to Gelrak 5 to deliver the inhabitants some diplomatic trinkets. <laughs> That's a dildo. <laughs> the transmission ends and Freeman angrily vents how she spent weeks preparing for the mission. Uh, Commander she did Ran- the dance. She learned the dance. She learned the dance. Uh, Commander Ransom tries to suggest that the move to Vulcan wasn't meant to offend her or the Cerritos, but Freeman believes that Starfleet doesn't take them seriously and that the Cerritos doesn't do enough to get the respect, and believes that the crew needs to do something to show they aren't a bunch of slackers. In the brig, Ensigns Mariner, Boimler-Tendi, and Rutherford are testing the strength of the force fields of the cells, and Mariner fires her phaser at Boimler behind the force field. The force field successfully holds against the phaser, and Boimler uh, Boimler angrily protests that Mariner almost killed him before, she reassures him that the phaser was set to stun. Although, after checking it, she discovers it wasn't on stun and quietly changes it to the correct setting. I like that part. I thought that was funny. Yeah, That's fine. But uh, also, like, it ch- like, uh, like, wouldn't, like, the alarm system go off? 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of considerations there. Yeah. Uh, after Boimler finishes the test of the field integrity by shocking himself, they let him out and Mariner orders four margaritas from the replicator. Mm-hmm. Tendi seems confused that they are having margaritas when they should be reporting for a new task, but Rutherford and Mariner assure her that their superiors have no idea how long it takes them to accomplish their tasks and that they cr- uh, creatively estimate how long their tasks usually take, giving them a little, quote, buffer time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boimler is the only one who doesn't care for the idea of buffer time, but admits that it is a lower decks tradition. Tendi gets a ta- call from Dr. Tiana asking her how, how long it would take to repair a biobed, and Tendi estimates roughly five hours. At first, Tiana does not appear satisfied with the estimate, but happily accepts the creative estimate. Mariner, Tendi, Boimler, and Rutherford continue to enjoy their margaritas and the buffer time. <laughs> Freeman, uh, Captain Freeman is angrily walking the ship and scolding any crew members she sees who are not working or who are taking their time accomplishing their tasks. After she scolds the entire lounge for not working and Ensign moans about losing their buffer time, Freeman never heard about buffering time before, asks him to repeat what he said, but he runs away afraid. Freeman enters the turbo lift where Boimler is, and she asks if he has anything to report. Boimler happily explains how he has kept himself busy with numerous tasks while skipping buffer time. And as soon as he says this, Freeman halts the turbo lift and demands him to tell her what buffer time is. (laughs) And this to me is just like kind of lazy writing, like... Also, like, why don't the um, commanding officers know about buffer time, considering they came from lower decks as well? That's a great question. That, as I was just like, wait, they, but they're not aware of like of this tradition that they mm-hmm. that they all partook in. Like, they're they didn't all start off as like as like command mm-hmm. or like the bridge crew, you know? True, but, very you true. Know, you know. Mm-hmm. So, in the lower deck crew quarters, Boimler approaches his bunk nervously. And Mariner asks him what's wrong, but Boimler denies that anything is wrong. At that moment, everyone in crew quarters receives a notice from Freeman that their buffer times will no longer be tolerated and that all tasks they are assigned will be held to a strict deadline. Yeah, they pretty much recreate uh, uh, 21st century Amazon Amazon warehouses. Mm -hmm. So um, Mariner suspects, I wonder if they're going to have to start peeing in bottles. Yeah, that could that could have shown that because yeah, that was that you know that's that's what it reminded me of. It did seem like a commentary on Amazon's uh, work practices, you know, where they're just given like time, but like not enough time to literally do anything else, like go to the bathroom. Yeah, and so like this, yeah, this could have been some good commentary on that. You know, just I doubt, I really doubt what that's what they were going for. This yeah. is two writers for Family Guy. Yeah, yeah, like they're gonna write fu- some fucking class conscious manifesto in script form. <laughs> yeah. Give me a fucking break, dude. Yeah, uh, Mariner suspects that someone told Freeman about buffer time and blames the Delta Shift. Boimler confidently says that they don't need buffer time and that they can get all their things done early with the time given, and this inspires confidence in the others. Mariner predicts that they will simply not be able to have as many margaritas. Mm-hmm. A week passes, and the crew of the Cerritos is starting to feel the effects of the strict deadline, and tasks that are normally completed in a comfortable manner of time start to pile up as crew members rush to complete tasks in any way they possibly can. Crew is overworked, stressed, and running through the ship from task to task. 
The only crew member who isn't affected by the lack of buffer time is Boimler, who still manages to complete all his tasks early and even requests more work. Yeah, yeah. Kiss-ass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely true. Like, there are people who flourish in that kind of work environment. Mm-hmm. And, like, they f- they find, like, the time constraints and, and like, the like the work schedule, like, kind of just, like, they thrive under that. But, you know, a vast majority do not. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was that person for a while. And then I'm like, man, that fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. Fuck life. Yeah. Yeah. Decided to drop out. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's another thing. Yeah, I mean, as as an Amazon and um, warehouses, like when people are kept to those kinds of strict schedules, like they are overworked, and they do ignore you know things like safety, mm-hmm. which is why like there's a lot of accidents in, in Amazon warehouses. Like I, I believe Amazon warehouses like have uh, four times the number of like OSHA violations and on the place uh, work injuries mm-hmm. than any traditional warehouse. Yeah, because yeah, people get hit by the forklifts and the robots and everything. Because yeah, like if you're you you're you they have like the thing that monitors like what how many tasks they've completed in a certain time and you know like are you going to take the time to look both ways when you cross like a pathway that like, takes time that takes time and you're now you're gonna like make make those concessions where you're going to just be like well I'm just gonna quickly run I'm not even think about I'm not even thinking about my own self preservation I'm thinking about meeting the deadline on this clock listen think about the corporations all right yeah think about Jeff Bezos <laughs> Jeff Bezos is literally losing like. You know, pennies on the dollar. Yeah, right? He's, yeah, he's losing tens of cents a century. Yeah. Okay? Like Yeah, the, 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 like that time that someone would have taken to, like, look both ways before crossing, like, a That's bit, money to him. That's money that's to money him. That's money to him. Yeah. Uh, so Ransom is a, and that's a job to that person. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how much distance we put ourselves between the C-suite and the people who actually make their jobs. Yeah. Fucking hate it. Ransom is about to lead an away mission on uh, Gelrack Five, and Mariner uh, and calls Mariner out for arriving late. Ransom simply tells her that they're on a strict timetable and says she should consider herself lucky that she's able to go on the away mission at all. Mariner tries to belittle their away mission, but Ransom ignores her and orders her to roll down her uniform work sleeves as she looks unprofessional. Looks like she, she was raised in a barn or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. The shuttlecraft Yosemite leaves the Cerritos and Ransom believes the away team, uh, sorry, briefs the away team how the Gilrakians uh, base their social structure around crystals. Upon meeting them, they must present them with the honor crystal that was given to the crew the Gilrakians first encountered to show their peaceful intentions. Ransom pilots the shuttlecraft into the atmosphere and lands manually. Gelrak 5 surface is covered in gigantic crystals, but there's no difficulty in landing. Mariner quietly mocks Ransom's boastful demeanor, but Ransom is unamused by her behavior. They disembark the shuttlecraft and are approached by the Gelrakians. Ransom and Ensign Vendrome approach the Gelrakians, and Vendrome opens a chest to display the honor crystal. However, the Gelrakians are appalled to see the honor crystal is not in the chest that is opened and that the chest, in fact, holds a wooden stump that is a fertility totem of Mavic Prime. Mm. Uh, Vendome doesn't realize that in his rush to complete his tasks, he loaded the wrong chest for the away mission. As the Galrakians are sworn enemies of Mavic Prime, they interpret the gesture as an act of war and immediately attack the away team. Which, fair. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah. 
Uh, Vendrum is stabbed by one of the crystal spears and the Galrakians are armed with, and Mariner immediately, uh, immediately subdues many of the Galrakians as more appear to attack the away team. And her, her the Kung Fu she unleashes at this moment is just like really ridiculous where she it does is. like the the four the four away punch thing yeah. where she like she uh, she jumps in the air and like uh punches and kicks at Ran the same time. Ransom is crazy overpowered in season 1. Yeah. Yeah. Like Tendi it kind of makes sense because of her past, but Mariner just doesn't. Yeah. Um so uh Ransom orders a retreat and the away team takes cover behind some of the giant crystals. Mariner bandages Vendome as best as she can as Ransom attempts to peacefully negotiate with the Galrakians. However, he is immediately subdued and knocked out as the Galrakians surround the away team. Mariner notes how this reminds her of Kirk being in the 20, uh, 2260s. Notes the Spears, which mm -hmm. is a reference to some fucking TOS mm -hmm. episode, which is like the vague TOS shit, the vague shit they're doing in this episode that's like, oh, this is just like... Kirk in the uh, 2260s. Yeah. Remember when Kirk got captured by the people with the spears? Yeah, and it, I hate it because <laughs> it's it's literally like the characters in the episode are calling out an episode of yeah, TOS. Yeah, like, and, and, and winking at the camera. Yeah, and being like, you see that episode? Wink. Yeah, because she's, uh, she's smiling, and like, why would she be like happy about that like yeah. reference? It just seems... It's, it's just dumb. It's, just, yeah. it's lazy. Yeah. Just like... <laughs> at least, yeah, at least she's not like... Hey, you remember the time that uh, the Steve Puff Marshmallow Man uh, raped an alligator? <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, what? And then, yeah, cut to that, and then... Yeah. <laughs> Seth MacFarlane's a pox upon humanity. <laughs> but he made the gay baby! He did make the gay baby. Uh, the crew continues to rush to complete their tasks on the Cerritos, resulting in disorder and chaos throughout the ship, and multiple accidents piling up. The disorder begins to affect the rest of the ship, including the bridge, when commands uh, being input in the ship's consoles begin to not work. Freeman, annoyed that things aren't getting done, decides to start doing things herself. Shax informs Freeman that the ship's sensors are starting to pick up multiple Galrakian ships approaching them. Ensign Barnes informs Freeman that the ships are locking phasers, and Freeman orders for the ship's shields to be raised. Shax tries to raise them, but the console will not comply and they got Orakian ships launch boarding pods. Freeman orders a red alert as the pods approach the Cerritos, and issues an order for the crew to repel all the intruders, but not to stop their tasks. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that one, that one makes sense. That's like, if, if she really gave that order, she's like unfit to be captain. And that's the thing, is like, that's what I hate about this first season, is everyone's fucking incompetent. Yeah, and just for incompetence sake, like, it wouldn't, mm -hmm. yeah, like, yeah, I mean, looking back, like, we now know, like, she would not make that sort of decision. Never, no. Like, and, it, and that's the thing, it gives, it like, uh, later writing does give, give more credit to the characters. It does, and it makes them, like, competent, and it makes them seem like they're a crew that can actually pilot a starship. But on the yeah. season, on season one, I'm like, they're not competent enough to do this, obviously. Yeah, it, it seemed, it seemed, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. That, that's why I think, like, yeah, like, I remember watching the first season and, like, being like, uh, okay, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it didn't strike me, it, it just struck me as solely as just, like, a parody thing. Yeah. And not, like, uh, like, 
a addition to the uh, a star a Star Trek show. But not even a good parody, like one of those modern parody films, like you know, fucking remember the Spartans or whatever. Yeah. This just references mm. and just like winks, like, hey, you remember this reference? Yeah. Hey, that's a reference. And then yeah, and by season three, it definitely feels like. Like like more of a Star Trek show. Than yeah, like a proper Star Trek like show. Like a proper like, Star Trek like show. Like everyone actually knows their job. It's just like sometimes wacky things happen mm-hmm. or they react a certain way given a situation instead of just being fucking incompetent, yeah. wacky individuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, you know. they're... They're more believable in their roles. And right. and you're just like, oh yeah. I mean, it just feel, it, it feels like more of a lived in sort of mm-hmm. like world that you're just coming into. Like this... Feels like everyone just had the job for their first time. Yes, absolutely. And but they're but uh, not only is it are they are but that's the thing. Like not only are they super com- incompetent, but they're also like you know ridiculously overpowered. Right. <laughs> so like you know someone like you know yeah, and that's the thing is like yeah, Mariner like too super incompetent gets him in a shitty situation and then fights everyone off with the craziest most competent kung fu. Yeah, and, I'm and like, then those Captain two F- things don't make sense together. And then Captain Freeman making like ridiculous decisions like. That wouldn't, no captain would make. Yeah, and then somehow, like, <laughs> everything ends up fine at the end. It's, yeah. It's so, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, on Galrak 5, the away team has been imprisoned, and Mariner and Ransom are locked together in a cell. And as Ransom tries to plan a diplomatic approach to get them out of the situation, Mariner scolds him that he is unable to get jobs done despite having the mannerisms of command. Ransom, in turn, scolds her for her habitual breaking of protocol, blinding her to the consequences of her actions. He tells her that one day her approach could get someone killed, but Mariner simply tells him that his approach landed them in prison. Ransom begins a speech to try and inspire the Galrakians uh, that they meant no harm, but is interrupted by the leader of the Galrakians, Gurnbaugh. He tells Ransom that he and his away team are being held responsible for the lies of the Federation, and that they will have to prove their innocence through trial by combat. One of the away team officers will need to face off against Vindor, a huge Galrakian champion. Gurnbaugh informs them that if they win, they will earn their freedom, but if they lose, the away team will be executed by being crushed by an adjudication uh, geode. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, Gurnbaugh gives them a blade of crystal and informs them that they have one hour to choose who will fight Vindor. Ransom and Mariner immediately begin arguing over who will fight Vindor between the two of them, both mm-hmm. wanting to take the sword. <sighs> Whatever. Yeah. This is this is just be wacky. Yeah. We're wacky aliens. Look at our wacky backwards. <laughs> and it's like they're fucking Star Wars aliens too. Mm-hmm. Who do like fucking trial by combat and shit. Also by this point also like since they've been welcomed into the Federation, they're clearly a pre warp or post warp civilization. Right. So like they have warp technology. But they're doing gladiatorial fights and shit. Yeah, and, and it seems like they would have like probably moved past this, but mm-hmm. who knows? But um but yeah, like uh also like there's no talk at all over this potentially being like um like uh disastrous for the Galrakians. True. Like kidnapping and and attacking Starf um Starfleet, which yeah, they know right. is like has like such influence and like and mm-hmm. and um and resources to fight back at them. Right. Like why would you do this? Because they're doing a second contact mission here, right? Yeah, Something I think so, like yeah. That, which is like, yeah, this is all fucked up and stupid. 
And it seemed, yeah, it makes everyone just look stupid. Yeah. Especially the two guys who wrote for Family Guy. <laughs> so the Cerritos is now surrounded by multiple Galrakian ships, and the crew is still in disorder as they try to finish out their assigned tasks and repel the Galrakian boarding parties. Boimler, however, is still unfazed by the deadlines and managing to get all of his work done. Also unfazed by the, um, by the boarding, uh, parties. boarding parties. Man, which is very odd. <laughs> <clears throat> he comes upon some Galrakian graffiti in the hall, and after translating what turns out to be very rude phrases on his pad, wonders uh, just what happened to make the Galrakian so hostile. He begins to clean up the graffiti with his phaser, noting how it will mess up his schedule when three Galrakians surround him. Boimler is unfazed and stuns the boarders, wondering how the ship could be on red alert to their weaker forces. Which this was like, it's very, once again, like, unlike Boimler. Yeah, he does remain on task, but, like, him not getting scared and freaking out when they're being boarded is not like him. Yeah, he would, he would definitely be, like, you'd be hiding. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he'd, he'd, yeah, it would have been funnier if he was, like, like terrified, but also, like, compelled to complete the task. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he was just, like, hiding around, like, hallways and, like, quickly completing tasks and then hiding again. Yeah, you think, like, you think that he's going to do something to uh, fight the Galrakians, but he's actually just completing some 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 task that's completely unimportant. <laughs> right. That's actually a good idea. So I think that disqualifies you for being a writer for Family Guy. Damn, no! Uh, it seems today that all you saw was violence <laughs> in movies and sex on TV. Oh, damn. Uh, um, so Boimler enters the bridge to report his conflict with the Galrakians, but is surprised to see Freeman running all around the bridge trying to run the ship by herself. Shaq seems Boimler and immediately tackles him, but lets him go when he realizes he's not a Galrakian. Again, another incompetent thing yes. done by Shaq's. Like, Shaq's... He's, he's clearly wearing a Starfleet uniform. Yes, and human. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like Shaxx, like Shaxx is 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 a man of action. Yeah, and would and and would instantly like jump, you know, jump at the chance to like you know do do fight or something. But mm-hmm. I think he, but he he has a clear like few seconds mm-hmm. where he yeah. can observe that that's actually. That's the whole point why they wear uniforms, right? <laughs> like what, like that they're easily recognizable, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't have done that, except it's done for the cheap laugh of, of Boimler getting hurt. Yes. So, yeah, there's a lot of cheap laughs here, and I think that's, like, my problem with this and season one altogether mm-hmm. is it's, like, it's going for cheap laughs, and it's not actually playing to the people actually watching it. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, I think it's trying to play to people who crossover fans from either Rick and Morty or Solar Opposites, mm-hmm. of which I don't believe there's a ton. No. I don't think so, Mm-mm. to be honest. Like, I mean, the people I know who like this don't like Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> straight up. Like, so. Uh, Freeman angrily demands to know why Boimler isn't at his post, accusing him of being part of the reason um, that the ship is in the shape it's in. Boimler is surprised to see that the bridge crew is also abiding by the strict deadlines of Freeman and are just as overworked as the rest of the crew and protests that Freeman should not be running every station since she is the captain. Mm. Freeman only notes that she needs the crew working harder, faster, and stricter as the Galrakians start to break into the bridge. Back on Galrak 5, Ransom pulls rank on Mariner that as commander, the trial is his responsibility and that he will be fighting Vindor. Mariner, however, simply retorts that she is good at her job because she breaks protocol so frequently 
and that she doesn't need protocol to get the job done. I, I hate this. Like, I, I hate that she's making a, trying to make a case that she's good at her job because she doesn't follow the rules at all. Yeah. It's like someone who's like that just shouldn't be in Starfleet. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and you do see that, see her evolve better as a character by season yeah. three, where it's just like, where it's just not just like blind defiance of, of Starfleet rules that right. like, they're in there for a, then and, 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 and yeah, it does seem like that the reason that she is so like, you know, amazing and, and, and such a good Kung Fu master and, mm-hmm. and just over talented is because she breaks protocol and that's and that and that's not what like I feel that's not what like Starfleet is meant for. Starfleet is meant to encourage people to reach their potential and mm-hmm. and use it and and and, that, and that's just what like what Janeway said on the most recent episode of um a Prodigy we watched watch like if uh we can't hold ourselves to certain laws and standards like what does how does that make us any better than the people we oppose Mm -hmm. and so like yeah what's what's the point of being in starfleet if you don't believe in starfleet's rules that's like that's like being like man fucking a cab i'm gonna become a cop yeah what (laughs) are you doing what are you doing Mm. Um, yeah yeah and plus yeah and also like yeah as we'll see like you know like ransom does handle the situation better Mm-hmm. But we gotta continue. I'm sorry. So, Ransom begins to show off her many scars that she's earned in her service of Starfleet. She notes that Ransom doesn't have any battle scars because he plays it safe. Mariner tries one last time to ask him to let her go do what she's good at, noting that sometimes you have to do what's wrong in order to survive. Ransom admits that she's right before stabbing her in the foot with a blade. Mm. He tells her that he'd rather die than let her put her life on the line, and that as the commander of the Cerritos, he won't let anybody hurt his team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like uh, Mariner does come off very immature here. Yes, like very true. So, like immature to a point where it's kind of unbelievable that she would have even got gone through. Like you know, it's right. It's like she's so immature and so like fundamentally against the ideas of Starfleet. That it doesn't make any sense why she's still in Starfleet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Yeah, like how did she? How did she get through the academy? How did she get through? The I, mean, I mean, how has she not been dishonorably discharged? We know she's been transferred to like six dis- different ships to this mm-hmm. point, right? And so, like, and you know, she's never actually gained rank at any point. Yeah. Like, why does she want to be in Starfleet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, yeah, and and that, that's why, like, I mean, they do. I, I. I do like her character a lot more later on. Yeah, because they flesh it out and like it makes it very clear that she wants to be in Starfleet for like the community and like mm-hmm. a sense of purpose and stuff like that. Yeah. But here, that's not apparent or clear at all. And it's clear that she just hates Starfleet and their rules. Yeah. <laughs> so it just doesn't make any sense. So uh, Ransom tears off his uniform and enters the arena to meet Vindor. The crowd is chanting Vindor's name, and as Ransom approaches, he throws his battle blade on the ground, saying he will only need his hands for their fight. The trial begins, and Ransom uses his agility to dodge Vindor's attacks and begins to fight him, and puts on an impressive spectacle as he continues to dodge Vindor's attacks and lands multiple blows on Vindor, uh, pretty much all of them double hand fucking Yeah, punches. hammer throw, hammer. hammer. Hammer throws, yeah. yeah. Uh, impressing even Mariner. Mm-hmm. Which was that was fine, and they uh, the music here was especially great. They used um, 
Uh, fucking Chris Westlake, once again, hats off to him. Yeah. He does this cool, like, theme of the the original fucking battle theme from TOS, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Amok dun, Time. Dun, dun. Yeah, uh, from Amok Time. But he, he does, like, a play on that. It's mm-hmm. not the same, but it's kind of similar, and it's great. Like, yeah. once again, Chris Westlake, hats off to you. You're the uh, best composer of uh, Trek since Dennis McCarthy. Great job. Yeah. Um, I think this is also like a good point, like a good lesson where it, it does it. She's not being rewarded mm-hmm. for her for her behavior mm-hmm. because, like, obviously, if she had gone in, she probably would have killed Vendor. Probably, yeah. and like, and and you know, and and Ransom is able to like um, handle handle the situation with as a little bloodshed and mm-hmm. and um, and dip, dip, and use diplomacy instead. Hell yeah, yeah. Uh, quick aside, being that uh, Dippin' Dots are the ice cream of the future, do you think they only eat Dippin' Dots on Star Trek? Or do you think they can eat no. ice cream? No, uh, like, uh, because, um, uh, as we know, like, uh, Troy uh-huh. loves chocolate ice cream. That's true. She but never t- eats Dippin' Dots. What the fuck? So Dippin' That's Dots... That's a great point. Dippin' Dots isn't the ice cream of the future. <laughs> I think you just proved in one sentence <laughs> that Star Trek is in fact dystopian sci-fi. Are you a fan of Dippin' Dots? You're not. I mean, I haven't had them in a long time. I think the last time I had them was on the East Coast. Like, like I, like I, I think I only tried them one time. Like I was at like King's Dominion, and they had a Dippin' Dots. I've been to King's Dominion, and they like Virginia. Yeah, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And like I got like a, a dip in dots. I was just like, oh, so pellets. All right. And then I never thought of them again. It's like ice cream for birds. <laughs> it's ice cream for birds. <laughs> We're going to be birds in the future. I mean, clearly, like you want ice cream for the for its like rich, smooth, creamy texture. Like, this ice cream is for the birds. Yeah. Like you don't get any sort of like, you know, mouthfeel for the creaminess with Dippin' Dots. You yeah. Just but you get, get a bunch of balls you, in your mouth. Yeah. You just get a bunch of bird seed. You get a bunch of balls. In your <laughs> you mouth. get a bunch of balls in your mouth. Ah, stick your cold balls in my <laughs> mouth, baby. And meanwhile, I mean, as we see Troy, she is enjoying a big ass chocolate sundae mm-hmm. and, and loving her life. I think if, I think, I think a dystopian future, if she was just eating a bunch of dry, ice cream frozen pellets i feel that's actually yeah maybe to you (laughs) but you don't you don't like uh i mean you're a vegan so you don't even like ice cream i like vegan ice cream it's not ice cream yeah it's it's nice cream (laughs) so so there's a word in ice cream that is fundamental to this the structure of the phrase Mm -hmm. it's the word cream uh i like ice oat Oh, okay, ISO. That makes yeah, sense. Okay, ice, so you, ISO you like is pretty good. you like iced sweetened oat. Yeah, that's, that's fine. You can say that. It's basically like eating breakfast. Like that's what I tell myself when I eat a pint of ice of oat milk ice cream every morning. I'm just like I'm I, I'm having a healthy breakfast. I'm eating some oatmeal. <laughs> I'm a growing boy. <laughs> I'm a growing boy, and like I just like and as I eat an entire pint of oat milk <laughs> oat milk ice cream. I'm a growing boy, only growing horizontally, but still growing. <laughs> My goiter is growing. <laughs> oh, going into shock. Oh, well, looks like there's no iodine in ice cream. <laughs> they should make iodine ice cream. Oh. oh. Um. So the Galrakian attack on the Cerritos continues, and Shax is holding back the Galrakians from entering the bridge. 
Freeman begins to blame herself for the way things are and how she couldn't have let herself believe she belonged at the Cardassia Prime peace negotiations when she couldn't even properly run her own ship. Mm-hmm. Boimler, however, tells her that she's a great captain and that her rules have resulted in one of the best weeks of his life aboard the Cerritos. Freeman doubts this since the crew is in disorder, but Boimler tells her that not everyone is like him when it comes to work aboard the Cerritos and that everyone has their limits. As much as he hates admitting it, it would be for the best if Freeman were to allow the crew to be more independent with their schedules. Mm. Captain Freeman is unsure she's willing to bring back buffer time, but Boimler argues that buffer time gives the crew enough time to do their jobs properly. Boimler once more says to Freeman that she's a great captain and asks for her to let them be a great crew. Inspired by the words, Freeman immediately discards the deadlines that she's assigned the crew and orders them to do whatever they need to take back the Cerritos. With buffer time back, the crew bands together and fights back the Galrakians. Yeah, because I'll say this is implying like that, that, um, that everyone in Starfleet would just be like, be fight against their own self-preservation and just like allow themselves to be taken, be attacked, mm-hmm. like, and and just focus on like menial tasks instead. Like that doesn't make any sense. But I mean, at the same time, um, if you if you rob a Walmart, most of the time the workers don't give a fuck. No. They're just like, they fucking open up the cash register and give it to you. And they're like, fuck it, shoot me, please, please, yeah, God, please shoot end me. it. I work at fucking Walmart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So meanwhile, Ransom's fight against Vindor is going in his favor. Ransom knocks Vindor to the ground and Vindor surrenders the fight, which surprises Ransom as the Galrakians gave the impression of only being able to say his, of him only being able to say his name. Vindor admits it's all been a ruse, so others think he's just strong and dumb, but that he actually loves to read. Gurnba is annoyed by the outcome, but upholds his promise and has the away team released. As Ransom returns to the cell where Mariner is, she complains that he stabbed her, but didn't stab Vindor, questioning his priorities. Ransom just picks her up and leaves the cell with her. As they leave, Gurnba decides they should probably stop resorting to the trial by combat or they will never be able to use their geode. Vindor suggests a fair trial with a judge, but Gurnba decides that the next time they have a prisoner, a death race will be their next trial and orders for crystal cars to be constructed. Mm. Which is a funny idea. It's just like mm-hmm. dumb. Yeah, they could have they could have had like a scene where, you know, like the the wacky racers type thing. Also like Mancer stabbing Mariner directly through the foot. He doesn't know how long they're going to be there. She could have died of sepsis. Eh, I think the crystal's probably pretty clean. <laughs> man, you just like man. You, you but know. I, but I mean, he had to resort to like I. I think he was forced to resort to drastic measures because she wasn't going to back down. Which is she was being, which again she was also, she was also being very defiant to the um to the command structure where she was just like, you know, take, disobeying a direct order that she yeah. needed to sit and and so he you know and to save her life really because he probably knew that she probably wasn't going to come out of that and also or make the situation worse like actually kill Vindor. Yeah, like, that would have been cool though. What's wrong with killing Vindor? Because like that's not what Starfleet's about. Like yeah, but I mean. 
it was trial by combat, she had every right to kill Vindor. Yeah, but I think, but, 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 like, um, Ransom was able to handle the situation without bloodshed and to where everyone walks away. But why is bloodshed such a, such a bad thing? Maybe, maybe if they killed Vindor, then the, the society would have learned that trial by combat is the wrong thing and they would not have gone to the death race. They would have just gone to tr- fair trial by jury. So maybe, mm. maybe their mercy is actually holding the civilization back. <laughs> How about that? Could, could, you know, you never know. Did. Did. I know. <laughs> Canon. Uh, on the Cerritos, the crew is wrapping up their fight with the Galrakian boarding parties, and the tide is quickly turning in their favor. The Galrakians retreat to their pods and return to their ships, and Freeman gives Boimler an approving nod. As the crew cleans up the Cerritos, Shax leads another away team to the planet where they display the honor crystal as originally intended. The Galrakians apologize for their hostile actions, and Shax simply laughs it off, saying that he'd rather be with the Galrakians than the, quote, wood-worshipping freaks of Mavic <laughs> Prime, which is actually some pretty sick racism. I like that. <laughs> wood-worshipping freaks is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, in Sick Bay, Dr. Tiana finishes treating Mariner and asks if Mariner would like her to get rid of the scars on her body. But Mariner declines the request as she explains that they're trophies. Ransom approaches her and asks her to give him some time to get his things in order before she reports him for assaulting her on the planet, expecting a court-martial. However, Ransom is surprised to hear that Mariner will not be filing a report as he's feared, and Mariner admits that while he's a little narcissistic, his break of protocol actually impressed her. She admits that Ransom reminded her of what Starfleet was all about. She also admits that the stab wound on her foot will make for a great scar. They smile at each other. And look like they're about to kiss. But then immediately afterward, Ransom has Mariner detained. When asked why, Ransom cites that she never rolled down her sleeves as he'd ordered and was in violation of the dress code. Annoyed at the charge, Mariner kicks in protest as security drags her to the brig. She shouts that she loves the brig... And as she threatens to let someone kill him next time they're on an away mission and that she'll dance in his spilled blood, Ransom can't help but think that her behavior is hot. And she throws some stuff at her. Yeah. This is dumb. This is bad. Yeah, I didn't really like this part. No, first off, like, she has leverage on him. She could report him and get him court-martialed at any time. He has no incentive to penalize her. Mm-mm. He only has reasons to not because she can get him fucking court-martialed for mm-hmm. stabbing her in the foot. Eh, yeah, I mean, but I think he can argue that he would, had to do so under, as an extreme measure. Because but 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 he just said he expects a court-martial for it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then she says she's not going to, like, she has literal blackmail on him mm-hmm. that he admits to and then still busts her for a minor infraction. It's stupid. It's yeah. bad writing. Yeah. It's bad writing. And and her and her behavior was kind of ridiculous, where she was like, "Yes, having to tip her tantrum." And also, like, yeah, it is weird that they also in this episode they're establishing some um, some sexual tension between them, and put, and like teases a future sexual. Yeah, like, they put that to rest in seasons two and three. Yeah, well, I think kind of maybe like hinting at it at the end of season three maybe ish yeah well, but but she also she's like oh i just want you to be like my commanding officer or uh, she she wants him to be her like um uh, uh fucking um 
mentor. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like it's going to be a more mentor mentee. I don't think it's going to be romantic, but who yeah. knows? Who knows? Um, especially because he's her boss. And I think the writers are smart enough to know that like a boss dating a subordinate is fucking gross. And they shouldn't do that. Yeah. So, um, Freeman is in her ready room and Boimler enters at her request. She commends him for opening her eyes and says that if it weren't for him, the crew would still be blindly following every rule in the book. She then lets him know that they are instituting a new ship-wide mandate known as the Boimler Effect, <laughs> which is what they really should have called this episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that would have been a good, like, oh, what is the Boimler effect? And then yeah. that reveal. I don't even end. remember what it's. The... Uh, temporal edict, which I which doesn't make sense. It doesn't sense. make any sense. Uh, I guess because of the time constraints, that's why they call it temporal edict. Yeah. But still, yeah. it, 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 it implies that, that that kind of name implies that there's like some that's, sort of like time, time travel. travel. Yeah. Yeah, time travel aspect instead of like, um, like a time thing. But yeah, the Boimler effect would have been a much much funnier name for the episode yeah. uh so boimler is honored that the rule is named after him but that is quickly turned to embarrassment when he realizes that the rule is about encouraging shortcuts and preventing people from just blindly following the rules and that the crew will be able to build in buffer time when they desire boimler tries to change the rule to indicate that it is important to still follow the rules blindly only <laughs> to be disappointed when he finds that the rule has already been carved into a plaque for him yeah. Which is actually pretty funny. Yeah, this this whole part I really like. Yeah. Um, it was actually in this. This is the only part of the episode that actually makes sense to the future characters of Boimler and Freeman. Yes, which is strange. Yeah. Uh, so Boimler later laments how he has a rule named after him about not following the rules as he likes, but Rutherford and Tendy simply assure him that new rules are always being made, and that in time, no one will remember what the Boimler effect is. Now we have a flash forward, <laughs> which I hated. What? I like this part. Hated. Far into the future, a school professor is teaching her class about how important the Boimler effect is and how it is named after Brad Boimler for his lazy methods and instances of cutting corners. The professor then starts teaching about perhaps the most important figure in all of Starfleet Academy or Starfleet history, Chief Miles O'Brien, mm -hmm. which I like the Chief Miles O'Brien thing. The thing is... The Brad Boimler thing, they fucking wrote themselves into a corner. He can't be notable for anything else. That yeah. That's the thing he's most notable for in Starfleet history, yeah. which at this point, he's already done more impressive shit and was part of more impressive stuff than that. Yeah. So they writing writing a flash forward and writing right, someone- Right, by episode three. Yeah, and writing someone's legacy by episode three, yeah. bad writing. Yeah. That's bad writing. It is funny though. Like, yeah, it's it's, it's humorous, yeah. but it's bad writing. Yeah, and that's the thing is that's why this episode is so bad, mm -hmm. is because they go for a cheap laugh, not thinking of the canon and the implications and the continuity. Yeah, which is they've become much more cognizant, much more mindful of that, especially in season three. Yeah, but that's the end of the episode. What do you think? Yeah, fucking sucked. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Is that? Not one I'm very fond of. Like, I remember, yeah, watching this the first time. I'm like, eh, you know, I was I was still, like, yeah, you know, pretty open-minded to it. Mm -hmm. But, like, I was, like, I did I did think this last part was hilarious. I did, like, I did, like, how they're, you know, Chief Miles O'Brien and and just, like, I don't know. I, I like those kinds of, like, jokes where it does, like, oh, no one will ever remember this in the flashback. Yeah. 
there was also some stuff that kind of bothered me, like uh, in in the lift, fucking in the turbo lift before Freeman enters and talks to him. Boimler is singing the uh, Star Trek TNG theme. Yeah, which I was like, uh, yeah, that was weird. That's a little ham fisty and bad. And two, that's fan service without a point. Yeah, is the problem. Yeah. Um, I did like the ransom fight. I thought that was. I thought that whole part was done very well. Yeah, because that that kind of made sense. But like the lead up to it, and the fact that like a warp civilization was having gladiatorial battles, and like mm. there's there is some stuff that I was just like, eh. Uh, the actual like references they make are really lazy. Like fucking yeah, fucking Boimler humming the tune. Uh, Commander Ransom mentions encountering sentient tar. Yeah, which is it's like just make an actual reference to Armus. like mm. Armus is a great character like trek fans know trek yeah. fans know um the whole oh fucking the most cringe part of the episode in my opinion was when mariner said circled by spears this is a classic what am i kirk is this the 2260s yeah that was that was it was like stupid. literally she was like while what, laughing what it's... episode is uh episode uh, season three, episode four, like it's, yeah. it was fucking cringe. Yeah, it was pretty dumb. Yeah, but um, yeah, this episode sucked. It was one of the worst in the worst fucking fu- mm-hmm. uh, fucking season of the series. Yeah, that's why I am glad. Like it is at the point. It makes me just appreciate where Lower Decks is at now because I think it's such a strong show. Like it's, yeah, it's def- yeah, it has become a strong show. Yeah. It's, it's they have found their footing. Mm, it's, yeah. It's, it's my, it's, you know, it's obviously like my, you know, my top, one of my top favorite, um, episode, you know, like, like strange new worlds and followed by lower decks. Yeah. Of new track for of sure. new track. Yeah. And, um, um, and even so I'd probably rank it still pretty high, you know, still below like, you know, DS9 TNG and stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Like on the whole, um, I might put lower decks slightly above like prodigy now, like prodigy mm-hmm. is, is good and consistent on the whole. Yeah. Whereas lower decks recently has been great. Whereas the early lower decks is bad. And so mm-hmm. it's like, they've gotten to a point where I feel like it's evened out to where mm-hmm. like the, it's at least on average, average or better. Same with like Prodigy has always been just a little bit average or better. Yeah, and and Prodigy like it does have the limitation of being a kid show. True, but and also it has had I will say like a phenomenal first season. It does, although they have been given like two years to make a first season. Yeah. so they've yeah they've they've really put a lot of thought into the writing, and mm-hmm. also like there is definitely like clear messaging in True. the episode. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's like it it definitely um approach uh approaches like uh ethical and moral questions true true more than you could say like for the first season of like of like lower decks for the most oh, part absolutely yeah and that's the thing too about lower decks is like it it feels like there's not really a point to a lot of the first season yeah and and there's and there was like a so and it was a this episode was a lot of good ground for you know some commentary on you know like as we said like amazon you know just yeah, like yeah. and um i think you know they could have like you know they may and they could have shown like yeah the uh, bridge crew isn't like adhering to those rules and <laughs> and, and, and yeah and so my problem with that too is if it was any way about workers' rights or anything mm-hmm. the initial problem was caused entirely by the boss but then fixed entirely by the boss yeah or, or the boss taking um take uh stealing the idea of 
Boimler. Right, right, which which goes to a point of, you know, exceptionalism in yeah. in corporate structure mm-hmm. especially and it's just yeah, fucking I mean he did have the, he did have it named after him but kind true, of True, but he didn't want to. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um yeah, so And and really like all it did was return it. Like it is like a thing like with capitalism, you know, like mm-hmm. oh, there's a problem. You know, just like, you know, as we've seen with Elon Musk taking Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like he got Twitter made made a rule or made a new introduced something new that was completely stupid mm-hmm. backfired on him instantly like the the, the um the uh the thing and then all, what he did is go instantly back to the way things were because the way things work properly and <laughs> and never like never really addressed the fact that he was wrong or made a bad decision anyway and 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 it does seem like freeman wasn't like um like if anything, that made her seem like a worse captain, and yes. she didn't and didn't receive any blowback from that whatsoever. Indeed, she really should have. Yeah, she should have gotten her ass blown out for that. Mm. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Indeed. All righty. Uh, so that's our uh, classic episode for the week. Are you ready to figure out what our classic episode for next week is going to be let's do it all righty so our uh the way we choose a random episode for the week is we go ahead and choose a random number between one and 820 mm-hmm. and uh you know if we get a duplicate if we've uh, wa- already watched that number episode before we move on and watch another one so let's go ahead and find out what our random episode for next week is go for it first number we got is 771. Hmm. Not going to watch that one. That's probably a Discovery Picard. Mm. No, thank you. <laughs> Hit it. <laughs> Next number we got 607. Hmm. Not going to watch that one. Probably late. Better maybe Enterprise, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. not that one. Next one. All righty, the number of the episode we are watching next week is 147, which is mm. TNG. Uh, oh, 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 we've already reviewed this one. Hmm. Episode 147 is none other than Q Who. Oh, yeah. Which I don't think you reviewed with us. Maybe you? not. I think it was, yeah, me and Spencer. This mm-hmm. was pre, pre-Pat days. Uh, but we already, I, I already reviewed that one, uh, and we don't need your input on it. You're yeah. good. So uh, we're going to go ahead and choose another random number. So hit it one more time for me. All right. We have episode 105 of mm. Star Trek overall. So that is going to be a bit past TOS. Animated series. Just past the animated series. Oh, so is it like TNG? I guess so. So the first listed episode in TNG is actually the same episode as this. For some reason, there's no production number 105. Mm. However, 106 is Encounter at Farpoint. Oh, shit. So we're going to be watching episode one of Encounter at Farpoint next Mm. week. And then I think we'll just, uh, if we get a two-part episode, let's go ahead and watch Encounter at Farpoint next week and part two the week after. That work for you? That works for me. Cool. That sounds good. So next week, we'll be watching the very first episode of um, TNG, Encounter mm-hmm. at Farpoint, 
written by Gene Roddenberry and DC Fontana. DC Fontana had to sue Gene Roddenberry because he tried to take total credit for the script, even though DC Fontana wrote the entire original script. Wow. And he just basically padded it out. Uh, She had to sue him. Uh, Writers Guild of America sided with her, but she quit Star Trek and would never come back again, which is crazy because DC Fontana was a huge part of TOS. Mm. It's totally fucked up. Fuck Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. Fuck pretty Gene fucked Roddenberry. up. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, uh, with that, um, would you like to get into the Klingon word of the day? Yeah, let's do it. All righty. Klingon word of the day is Kyot. Kyot means insurrection. My favorite Star Trek movie is Star Trek Kyot. <laughs> Moving on. I guess it's time for subspace transmissions, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. I'm going to murder Pat during this, uh, this, this very brief song. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Sorry, mostly to me. Yeah. I was going to say to you, but you, you deserve this. You know. You I do. I, I deserve Subspace <laughs> transmission. Subspace transmissions. Hey, it's Subspace Transmissions, the part of the show where we used to read uh, reviews about uh, the episode of Trek we just watched, but... Pat is bleeding out on the floor now um, because he said Star Trek Insurrection was his favorite Star Trek call movie. Call 911. Don't call 911. <laughs> so, uh, we've got um can you can can you Yeah, you I still I plug the hole. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> good job. Good job. Hopefully it holds. I mean, not no. really. I no. hope I hope you bleed out and die. But <laughs> as long as you're here, we'll keep recording. Um uh We've got uh, reviews this week from IMDb of this episode. Would you like to hear them uh, top to bottom or bottom to top? I think uh, top to bottom. Top to bottom. All right. We will start out with a 10 out of 10. Uh, This one is from uh, Anikadag. I can't pronounce that. (laughs) They say, in introspective depth with an extroverted expression. What? Yeah, you heard him. Uh, this one is written by a guy who can pronounce her name on September 5th, 2020. This is a commentary on modern times when CEOs get so hung up on productivity that they kill it. This is Trek at its greatest. It's just that older fans like myself are less likely to appreciate it since we loved all the pomp and ceremony, and that's kind of being taken for a ride right now. Here are some amazing observations they allude to in the episode, which should be familiar to nearly all working adults and will be awesome. Command discovered buffer time and believing that this is a waste of time orders tasks to be done according to the schedule they are set. They never realized buffer time existed because they truly have no idea how long anything takes, yet they decide to set the timetable for those actually doing the work. 
Sometimes they get the times wrong. Mostly the times don't even include walking to the place where the work is done, so everyone is running all the time. This also mentally exhausts people, so they end up making exponentially more mistakes to the extent that the ship is disabled at a crucial moment. Then an externality crops up. They're expected to take care of that while still maintaining time on their already insufficient timetable. This not only makes them totally ineffective at dealing with emergencies, but also degrades even further the regular activities. The degradation of the regular activities directly causes things that normally would pass without incidents to turn into massive amounts of effort and injury, tremendously increasing the actual work that it requires to do their operations. The mental exhaustion caused them to continue to escalate their own trouble by attacking each other instead of easily dealing with the situations and themselves. Meanwhile, the captain is absolutely overwhelmed and takes on tremendous work that their report should be doing. She has to do it because now the others are incapacitated. I need us working harder as kicker. The captain says as she collapses into a chair. You're a great captain. Let the me great crew. Let people do whatever they need to do to get the job done. Just to find goals and let them come up with approaches. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Next, we have a nine out of ten mm. uh, from Mr. Jason Stoltz. It says mm. on September 12th, 2020. Brother of Eric Stoltz. Mm. Absolutely. He says uh, nine out of ten, Trek for the Working Class. Love this episode because I could relate to it more than any other Trek episode in the entire canon. And it was funny. Mm. So maybe that's a problem that you can relate with a spaceship show. Yeah. Maybe they're not doing a great job at being a spaceship ship show if you find it super relatable. Well, I think it is relatable to like, yeah, the, the, um, the overproductivity, like that one, you know, one guy was talking about, like, yeah, like the, 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 the push for more productivity at the expense of people's well being. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, also, like, the same person responsible for everything falling apart fixed it at the end, which is like giving way too much faith to people in power. Yeah. Yeah. Next, we have a, uh, a 7 out of 10. Uh, WK Yanks says on the 21st of August, 2020. No more yanking my wanky. Yeah, a step backwards. He says, didn't enjoy this one so much. Made the commanding officer look like an idiot. Mariner is getting really annoying. I thought she was much better in on voice, but she's off the deep end in this one. She's getting hauled off to the brig, so maybe we'll see a change. She's incredibly talented. At least Ransom put her in her place. I see a relationship of brewing. <laughs> Love the classic two-hand punches. I guess a way to look at this might be if this were 1987, we'd have just watched Code of Honor. Yeah. Miles O'Brien is the most important person in the universe. Ha ha ha, true Lower Decks perspective. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> okay. Uh, next, we have a five out of ten. From Celine Duchesne, saying on uh, February 8th, 2022, a senior trucker writes, actually, I'm going to do a way old person voice mm. for this. A senior trucker writes, Star Trek Lower Decks is a mainly unfunny Star Trek parody and, as such, does not deserve an actual review, but a few observations may resonate with older viewers. Those who have always taken the traditional Star Trek message of tolerance and inclusivity to heart may struggle to cope with loudmouthed, insubordinate bully as the lead character. 
irrespective of the race or gender apparently being depicted, it is not a person, it is just pixels. A whole committee of people came up with Mariner and then spent 10 episodes reinforcing the character's least sympathetic characteristics. They did it on purpose. Apparently, the expression used nowadays is being triggered, and yeah. once that is accepted, the entire venture can be understood as a minor and rather tasteless foray into the culture wars of the day. Oh my god. Stay safe, stay kind, and above all, please do not give up on Gene Roddenberry's original warm-hearted creations. That That's interesting that they use culture war and trigger completely wrong. Yes. Because none of that happens in this. Like, she's not triggered. No. And there is no culture war. Yeah. Like, uh, signifiers of any kind, like, in this, like, there's no culture war. Like, like what are they talking about? <laughs> like they, they just learned some internet lingo and are using it to try to express why they are dissatisfied with this. Mm-hmm. And I understand all of their criticisms. They're just not well-formulated and bad. No. Like, yeah, I do dislike that Mariner is loudmouth and insubordinate. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make really a ton of sense as a Trek lead character. And that changes. But, like... Mm-hmm. Then the whole being triggered stuff, I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you saying now? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, next we got a another 5 out of 10. Uh, this one from Lasher Michael P. Let's uh, lash his penis. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So uh, this one is from August 22nd, 2020. And the title is Rooted in Trek Culture. Still not funny. <laughs> says... This episode reminded me of the chain of command, how Jellico tightened up the ship to everyone's maximum capabilities because he saw the Cardassians as an apex enemy. This captain was having a bad day. Half the characters don't seem to have motivation to their actions, as if the writers just said, you know what would be funny? Ha 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 ha. Which, which, which is totally correct. Yeah. Totally. Family correct. guy writers. Yeah. <laughs> So we get to see 20 minutes of 99% of the crew being stressed in Mariner and Ransom trying to one-up each other. Ransom is shaping up to be perhaps the worst character on the show. Ransom? His lack of self-awareness is painful and doesn't make sense. He would rise to an XO promotion. I agree with within this within early episodes for sure. I thought I thought Ran I thought Ransom I th- I don't know, I thought he handled the situation, he used diplomacy. He stabbed his insubordinate foot. I think. I think yeah. what really kills it for me is she has leverage on him, and he still penalizes her. Yeah, that, which doesn't but, make any sense to yeah, me. Yeah, I think I, and that's the thing. Like, and um, in other Trek, like they probably would have just like ended the episode with like sort of like a mutual respect of one yeah, another. and 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 being like yeah, just ended it with like ransom in the med bay and been like. So are you going to get that scar healed? And she'll be like, no, it's a great story. And they give each other a knowing smile. And that's the end of their storyline. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, they could have had this exchange. Like, you know, I could have you court-martialed. And Mm -hmm. then he could be like, I could have you thrown in the brig. Mm Mm-hmm. And but then they don't do act yeah. on that either because that the whole experience brought them closer together. Exactly. Like it would have it it would have been a it, I, it would have been more satisfying and it would have right. shown them growing and also and still keep like you know if they wanted to keep the same the sexual tension mm-hmm. aspect but that that obviously is not necessary and didn't, is never brought up again. So so it's it's unfortunate <laughs> that they never really readdress any of the things they set up here. However. Mm-hmm. 
it is lucky there's a family guy. <laughs> um, oh yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, the instant the joke, and then instantly forget like what it, what it, what what the implication of it is. You know? Absolutely. So, moving on, we have uh, a review here going into the lower half, the lower decks of the ratings, if mm. you will. Uh, this one's a four out of ten, and it's from Marty the Great on August twenty third, twenty twenty two, and he says. This was my face expression watching the whole episode. <laughs> so you're doing sort of like a, a terrified frog. Sure. Yeah. Like a... Kind of... <laughs> so he says, I felt nothing. No laughter, no sorrow, no anger. Just an occasional what? Thought, like when he stabbed her in the foot or how Exo is switching between being diplomatic to being a gung-ho fighter. What's with the two angry, self-absorbed black ladies? Oh, God. Also, I noticed Starfleet is run by women now, similar to the show oh, Picard. God. Star Trek Universe is turning into some sort of social justice warrior agenda-themed show, oh, my and God. not in a good way. I'm all for being progressive, but this... I'm done typing. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're not about being progressive. Like, no, that's like... Not. A weird, like a very racist and so, uh, review of it. So there, there is a way to make the criticism. I think they might be trying to make, but they are making it in an intellectually racist way. Yes. My, my understanding of maybe where he's trying to come from is so many times now, Trek, in lieu of actually presenting any sort of leftist ethical or moral thought, instead replaces it with just actions being done by a diverse set of cast members who represent different peoples. Yeah. So instead of having a a storyline where Riker is like, hey, these people don't have genders, and then, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to make her have a gender, and they're like, I'm not a her, and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Instead, they're just like, oh, let's just have a fucking non-binary character. Mm -hmm. And then they just do stuff. Mm. I'm like, okay, that's fine, but it's like, you're not actually talking about anything. You're just saying, well, here's a character and you're supposed to like them and they're a hero. Uh, and also here's their identity. And I'm like, no, that doesn't do anything for anybody. And it doesn't like reinforce anything good about people. It's just like in, you know, then people who hate those characters associate that out group with their hatred. And it's, it's just a bad thing. Yeah. It's like, well, they focus, they focus on the, on, on it being like a like a damnation of right It'll of race than like than the character themselves because like and that and then you see that where it's like you know like like the like people like you know races are in are in, have an inability to see individual actions uh, mm -hmm. or they, they and they it, it expand that to an entire to everyone right and yeah and that's the thing like identity doesn't come up in this and yeah <laughs> it's like. And, and it does, and it doesn't matter, and it shouldn't matter, and that's the thing is like they're making it matter too much. And the point is, in the future, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so, like Stamets meeting a non-binary person for the first time three hundred years from now, mm -hmm. like a third of the fucking people I know are non-binary right now. Yeah. Like how he as a gay man, how did he fucking miss that? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And also, I mean, fucking let's talk about Stam. It's like using representation and using the worst possible. They're like, oh, well, let's have the first gay couple on Star Trek. Hey, can we make one of them the most annoying gay man <laughs> ever put on screen? 
Like, he, why? Yeah, he is. He is like typically like the intolerant one of the series. Of the series, he is. He's a yeah. catty, annoying white gay man. Yeah, like there's a there's a I think an episode in the fourth season where he's like he's like trying to deny um the AI of the ship personhood. Oh, great. So he's he's, he's Pulaski then. <laughs> yeah, he's Pulaski. He's gay Pulaski. He's, he's, he's doing he's gay Pulaski. bones. Gay he, bones. He's doing the Pulaski thing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, like this person is just this person's review is just racist. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, fuck them. What's with the two angry self-absorbed black ladies? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa, dude. Okay, chill out. Yeah. You fucking lost your privileges of being on the internet. I'm all for being progressive, but this Yeah, this is a bridge <laughs> too far. Yeah. Um, so next uh we have um a two star review. This one says uh this one's from Metzel Max from August 20th, 22 says I could watch white noise and be more entertained <laughs> for a comedy. It lacks jokes. The only funny part was the miles O'Brien statue, but only because of the in joke that comes from reading the miles O'Brien at work web comic, which is a hundred times funnier than this show and also portrays doing a dead end job better. Okay. That's fine. I do like that comic. That's yeah. a web comic. But also it's like that, yeah, that comic is, yeah, it doesn't include like, you know, his amazing arc on True. Deep Space Nine where he is the is the best engineer. He is. Yeah. Indeed. So, uh, got a few more here. Uh, second two out of ten here. This one from Dean202 on August 26, 2020. Saying, how is this for children, Kurtzman? It's not. This series keeps being defended for its low quality by Kurtzman at all, saying it's for children. This episode is full of profanity and borderline sexual violence. I think it's time for the CBS censors to get involved because either Kurtzman is deliberately sexualizing children or lying about who the series was actually intended for. What? That since CBS failed to deliver anything clever, they went for crude. It's rated TV 14. No one ever said this was for children. Yeah, I, I think this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Prodigy is obviously for children. Are they talking about Prodigy? Maybe uh, I think like no, I think they're talking about the, I think because this assuming, was in 2020, which yeah. is around the time they announced Prodigy. I think this is just for. Yeah, I think he's assuming since the cartoon it's for children, but I, I don't think it. I think it was marketed at the young adult. Type yeah. thing like the yeah. Rick and the Rick and Morty. Yeah, like, like you wouldn't say like Rick and Morty is a children's show. No, no, this is like fourteen to thirty-four. Yeah, like that's what they're going for. Yeah. All right. So, uh, second to last one we got here is a one-star review. We're down to the bottom of the barrel. Dang. Uh, this one's by Rob P. Uh, one out of ten from August twenty-fifth, twenty twenty, saying, "Boldly going its own direction." What is there to say that hasn't been written already? This is not Star Trek. Name dropping and making references to other Trek incarnations make it less interesting. I do not know at whom this is aimed. The worst character is Mariner, lacking all the qualities expected of Starfleet personnel. The bad news is that All Access ordered two seasons before reviewing fan opinions. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they're writing her as, like, you know, very overpowered. Yes. Absolutely. And then also being as 
loud as humanly possible just like rick and like you know i think we said like like he's like she's like rick in these mm-hmm. in the first she's season very rick sanchez she's yeah. very rick sanchez like and it was and it did feel that's what they i did feel like it was very rick and morty where like she's like the the um super smart overachiever like rick mm-hmm. and and you know and that's but su- super smart lazy overachiever yeah super like smart him. lazy overachiever yeah so um all right here's here's the last one this one's a one out of ten of also uh being written on august 23rd 2020 this one is by uh, gaxo garily and says one out of ten it is not about time travel (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm actually not sure what this is about there was no plot nothing this was literally a single half-baked sentence stretched into the length of an episode. To add insult to injury, Green Chick from, and Cyborg from DC Universe are written out. They are no longer distinct in any shape or form from other background characters. And the protagonist is somehow Black Chick. Oh, God. Who, in every single episode, <laughs> proves has no place in any Star Trek. The cherry on top is... Even her character becomes obsolete from the episode's view. Giving one star is way too much for this garbage. Here is how you can rise the show from an acceptable level. Fire everyone. Gather all copies and burn them. Finally, forget it ever tried to exist. <laughs> yeah, how does he really feel? They're actually making me want, making me defend Mariner. I know, for season one Mariner, which you're like, how? No, this episode <laughs> did suck objectively, but like, yeah. not that much. Like, it did suck. Not, 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 to, not to turn people racist. Like, right. You know, it's just like making these people like literally, like, 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 yeah. The the race of Mariner and Freeman have nothing to do with how poorly they're written. <laughs> yeah. Basically, every character in this episode, regardless of race, is written poorly. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Yeah, everyone's everyone's making stupid decisions. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, like Shax would never just like break someone's instrument in half. Like he's a sensitive guy. Or or in tackle and and tackle someone and right right and yeah and ransom you know wouldn't just send someone to the brig you know like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> just like just like you know just for that kind of thing and yeah it's just and Boimler just like ignoring like the people fight you know fighting all around him and just d- blindly doing his job. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like everyone was acting stupid in this. Like, yeah. and it's just like the fact that this was written by Family Guy writers. <laughs> and we are lucky there's a Family Guy. There is. We are lucky for there's a Family Guy. And I will. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like the like by season three, everyone's firing on all cylinders. Yeah, all the characters are awesome. Like, yeah. Unfortunately, by season three, we don't have any. Gay babies. No, no gay babies. No yet. gay babies. No, that's not true. There's like the there's like the um the gay baby that runs the volcano. I'm gonna I'm just gonna assume that gay baby's gay. Wow. Yeah. You just outed the gay volcano baby. <laughs> how oh, shit. how dare you? Oh fuck. That is not okay. Holy shit. I'm sorry. Wow. Look at Perez Hilton over here, everybody. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, gay volcano baby. I'm really sorry. How dare you? <laughs> I'm a gay volcano baby. <laughs> I'm going to kill volcano Lewis. But yeah, but these 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 early episodes just make me appreciate how far the writings come and how 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 they developed yeah. all the characters. I mean, yeah, straight up like watching season one episodes of TNG actually like makes you appreciate 
later TNG alumni yeah. because it sucks so much and you can see how much they grew. If 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 we were watching if like they were if we were watching the uh first season of TNG in real time right now, if mm-hmm. we were if if like if like intermovie database and like these forums existed, mm-hmm. people would be losing their minds. They would be how, shitting all over about how bad all the characters mm-hmm. on TNG are. Yes. <laughs> And, and like it's only like with the power of hindsight we're able to like go like okay no this is this they these let these let these characters marinate a little mm-hmm. and 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 now I'm just like I know I love all the characters on on lower decks it's... I don't I don't love all of them I like most of them mm-hmm. uh, I love a few of them oh. they're they're growing on me they're growing on me yeah they have, I got polyps I got polyps with all their little faces and yeah and they're like my little love polyps I just rub them. And I'm just <laughs> sorry. Moving on forever, <laughs> uh. but also like by the end, even by the end of this season, like um, I, 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 I like like the last the last episode of the first season. I really like the last episode of the first when they uh, bring um, fucking Will Riker back. Is that the one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and Shax does a heroic um, the heroic death. I remember when like when yeah. Shax died, like no. Yeah, yeah, that that episode's pretty good, and I think by that point we really because this is this is literally like just the third episode, yeah, of the first season, and and yeah, and I think they were trying too hard to make everyone just seem really fun, and they right. came off as more abrasive. Yeah, and that, and I really do think they were trying to get a lot of crossover fans, especially from Rick and Morty. Yeah, Rick so and Morty. Like, Hey, why don't we try to make this like Rick and Morty, but also kind of like Trek? And, and that's were... a thing. And I do feel like by third season, like mm-hmm. we've definitely pulled away from the Rick and Morty. Oh, uh, they they have by the third season they have found their identity. Yeah, and I, I honestly think like I don't know if Mike McGann actually wrote any of the first or second season episodes, but he mm-hmm. wrote two in the third season, and both of those are two of the best episodes mm-hmm. straight up. Like, yeah. Mike McGann is obviously a very committed Trekkie, mm-hmm. and he like gets how Trek is funny. Because yeah. he, he gets Trek, how Trek is funny in the same way that we do, like, you know, just those little places in lore that you can, like, insert little ideas and stuff mm-hmm. like that, or, like, things you can exploit is is fuller jokes. Because there's a lot of little things, like, you know, even little shit like, you know, we toilets in Star Trek. Yeah. There's so much to be done there because mm-hmm. we've only ever seen two toilets in Star Trek. Yeah. And neither of them have ever been in use. And Rick and Morty doesn't like really give too much growth for their characters. Like no. they can't. It doesn't give them like the ability to really grow and change. Like they have like the, you know kind of like faux like you know character development where you're yeah. like oh Rick's sad for some reason, yeah. but like but the but there's no it doesn't feel like he's actually like a more developed or like a deeper person. Like no, and that's what the so- and then like abandoning that kind of formula for our characters in this. Like they they feel more rounded. Well yeah, and also like the thing about Rick and Morty, it is it is a show that is tailor made for people who do too many dabs. <laughs> because like nothing is consequential, nothing fucking matters, and yeah. it all resets by the next episode. Yeah. There's there is literally no growth anywhere in the show. Mm-hmm. Except for, you know, when, like, fucking they turn Rick into a tree or whatever. Yeah, same with Family Guy, you know? Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I had a roommate. All he did was sit on a little table and do dabs all day and watch Family Guy on and over and over and over again. Like, he never watched any other show except Family Guy. <laughs> Millions of people like that exist. Yes. And it's crazy to know that, that, like... <laughs> 
millions of people like that exist. And <laughs> yeah. like the, these, these are the people watching Family Guy, and the reason Family Guy has <laughs> such crazy numbers. And I'm like, how is this like really good artistic project like not taking off? And it's mm-hmm. because you know there's a million people out there instead of you know patronizing decent art, watching reruns of Family Guy over and over. Yeah. God, that's the mouth breathingest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it was wild. I was just like, damn. Uh, and I don't know. And that's the thing. Like, every episode of Family Guy seems like the same episode to me because it doesn't seem like anything has any sort of consequence and no one grows. No. And so, like, I had no idea. Like, I think I lived there for, like, a year, a year and a half. And, like, it, every day was Family Guy night. It's like purgatory. <laughs> it's like purgatory, purgatory, yeah. I was just like, he has to be circling back to other episodes by now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like, yeah, at least with, like, Simpsons, like, mm. for the first, like, ten seasons, there's a point to most episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. All righty. Well, that is all of our subspace transmissions for the week, uh, which means we're getting close to the end of the show. Mm. But before we leave, you know what we got to do? We got to say goodbye to someone who gave the ultimate sacrifice for Hells the yeah. United Federation of planets. It's time for a Richard Obituary. Yeehaw! Well, the away team is in a pinch, and somebody had to die. But thanks a lot, time to be up to the big Richard in the sky. Hey, it's the Richard Obituary. Today we remember Fang Lee, a crew member who served on the Enterprise D under Captain Jean Luc Picard sometime prior to 2368. The conditions of Fangley's death are not specified. However, we know that they were killed in action at some point and fought to their very last breath. Hmm. William Riker used Fang Lee as an example when speaking to Worf, who was contemplating a form of Klingon ritual suicide after suffering a blue barrel attack. <laughs> so rest in peace among the stars, Fang Lee, and thanks for your contribution to the greater good guess yeah r.i.p bozo hell yeah thanks for everything fucking you were less consequential to an episode than a blue barrel <laughs> that barrel is, is like the worst enemy Worf has ever had yeah it fucked up Worf more than anyone ever has like people have like fucking kicked the shit out of him but they never fucking broke his back he fought he fought in a pit he fought a, a ton of Jim Hadar mm-hmm. what beat all of their asses they didn't even come close to breaking his back. No, the blue barrel fucking one hit kill. Like, yeah. holy shit. That... Yeah, he was ready to commit suicide after that. Right? Straight up. Which, That's... fair. I mean, I think if I, I was just like, you know, I was like, I'm the strongest guy. Like, I can take on, I'm this, I'm this powerful warrior. And then, like, I was taken out by something ridiculous. I'd be like, like no, just please finish me. Yeah, yeah. Not not sexually either. Not, not, sexually. not like a hand job. Yeah, not a hand job. Well, you do the hand job and then kill. Yeah, me. yeah. Like I mean, might as well. Might as here, well. You know, though my back's broken, so I won't feel it. But right, right. <laughs> you don't have to feel it. You just have to see it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Kill me. <laughs> well, looks looks like it happened. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm coming and going, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is about the end of the episode. Where can we find you online, Mr. Patrick? I am at Potomac Bomb on Twitter and uh, Instagram. Excellent. And you can find me basically on any social at Soytrek. And uh, you know what? If you're there, go ahead and see if I'll send you some dick pics.
Oh, shit. I keep on offering. No one is taking me up on no it. And I'm, I'm really disappointed in you people. Everyone's saying no. Bummer. I mean, it's it's consent is king, so if you want to say no, say no. Yeah, yeah. It's fine with me. Yeah. I'm not forcing you into anything. Yeah. Unless you're into that. You can DM me, and I'll send you pictures of my roommate's cat. Cool. Yeah. I put little fa- I put little hats on him. Oh, that's really cute. So, like, I have a I I buy hot sauces that come with little tiny cowboy hats, uh-huh. and I put the cowboy hat on the cat's head. Oh, and so yeah, if you want those pictures, <laughs> I want those pictures. Why Why have you not sent those fucking pictures to me, Pat? Because consent is king, and you haven't asked. I oh, <laughs> from from now on, I am to I'm into uh uh consensual non-consent cat picks all right okay so, i got you got so you, just got like you. you can always cat pick me any time of day always down all right all right d t c p whoa whoa wait no 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 cat pictures cat pictures cat pictures it stands for cat pictures it stands for cat pictures pat keep telling yourself that i've just called the fbi you're going to be talking to a terror attack wait I'm your FBI agent. <laughs> what? You're my FBI agent? Oh my god. Not again. The egg is on my face. <laughs> bump bump bump. <laughs> uh yeah, but um also if you uh want to get all of our episodes at one time, if you haven't noticed we release four fucking episodes a week. Uh go to our Patreon uh or as you know it, Patreon. Patreon. That's your <laughs> name, Pat. Oh, there is an R there. Wait, no. No, it is P-A-T. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. What? Wow. I don't know. <laughs> what did you think it was? Part Party on? Partreon. Party on, dudes. Party on. Pa- oh. Patreon, dudes. Why isn't it called that? Party on. Because. But they spell it like, like that. But it could be called party on. <laughs> P-A-R-T-E-O-N? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that, that works. <laughs> I don't see why not. Actually, and also like it, like eon, so it means it's like for for a long time or part of a long time. Part, part of a long time. Part of an eon. But it has multiple meanings because like party on, party forever. Yeah. True. Yeah. All right. We'll continue with the thing. <laughs> I'm just I'm just thinking out loud here. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. <laughs> it's not going well for me. <laughs> no, I, it never does. <laughs> So um, thanks very much to our $5 and above uh, Patreons. Uh, we have Dan Morrison, Dylan Lance, Ian Killia. Uh, we have Jordan Hale from Canada. Thanks, Jordan Hale. Uh, we have Nick Savard, Shane Sawyer, and at our brand new tier, which is Dumb Idiot Bull, or sorry, uh, Big Dumb Idiot plus plex account oh uh, we have joanna hearn and uh what that means is it's a brand new tier if you give us ten dollars or more a month you get not only a shout out on our podcast uh, all of our bonus stuff all of the episodes at once mm-hmm. but you also get access to my plex server now i don't know if i've talked much about my plex server here but if you like movies and you like star trek my plex server is your motherfucking thing. Has all the episodes. It's a, Plex is like a, a private server kind of thing where it's basically like I have my own Netflix for, mm-hmm. for you and I have, uh, I don't know, 14,500 films, which is uh, eight times as many films as Netflix, three times as many films as Amazon Prime, 10 times as many films as Disney. 
Like I have, I have as many films as every single streaming platform put together, all unique films, and every single episode of Star Trek updated when new episodes come out. Mm. So if you like Star Trek, great for you. You don't have to subscribe to Paramount Plus. Um, and also, if you like movies, even better for you because you get some of the rarest and craziest movies on Earth. Yeah, it's all all good. That's uh, once again, that's patreon.com slash dumb idiot BS. And by once again, I mean for the first time because I didn't mention it before. It's patreon.com slash dumb idiot BS. And I don't think you said their name. Who has the tier? Joanna Hearn. Yes. Joanna Hearn. Thank you, Joanna yeah. Hearn. At the $10 big dumb idiot plus plex tier. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. All right. Uh, that's That's about all we got for the day. So I think with that. Captain's Log, Supplemental. Well, that's all, folks. Looks like it's time for us to warp away. Be well, travel safe, and as Ferengi Rule of Acquisition number 31 says, never make fun of a Ferengi's mother. Damn. That's pretty good. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, thanks for checking with us, soy boys, girls, and other worldly beans. Hang dong and shocker. Soy, 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 soy,